from India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. On Tuesday, the Indian government announced it had come up with a historic new scheme of recruitment for India's defence forces. उस दृष्टि से आज कैबिनेट कमेटी ऑन सिक्योरिटी ने भी एक ऐतिहासिक फैसला किया है आज का अग्निपथ नामक एक ट्रांसफार्मेटिव योजना हम ला रहे हैं जो हमारी आर्म फोर्सेस में ट्रांसफार्मेटिव चेंजेस लाकर उन्हें फुली मॉडर्न और वेल इक्विप्ड बनाएगी द स्कीम इज कॉल्ड अग्निपथ व्हिच लिटरली ट्रांसलेट्स टू पाथ ऑफ फायर और ट्रायल बाय फायर those recruited under the scheme would be called agnivirs retired lieutenant general satish dua says this is the biggest shift in how recruitment is carried out for india's defense forces this scheme for recruitment of soldiers into the indian army the navy and air force is a radical departure from the past you know earlier also we've changed the terms of service here and there the changes have not been so radical this one is a paradigm shift it um, says that there will be it's almost like a small support cadre of the soldiers you know like we have uh, the short service commission for the officers their uh, terms and conditions in terms of pay and perks as well as the severance package and pension or lack of it is uh, is radically different from how soldiers uh, terms and conditions of engagement have been the scheme which will be launched this year will start with the recruitment of 46000 people after serving in one of the defense forces for 4 years 75% of those recruited under the scheme will have to leave that's around 35000 out of 46000 the others will be retained and will have the option to serve out a full career as a soldier sushant singh has served in the indian army and is presently a senior fellow at the think tank center for policy research he explains the difference between this scheme and the previous recruitment policy the agnipath scheme essentially is a short term contractual uh, soldiering scheme where people would only be employed for a period of 4 years and it would not be a pensionable service earlier on the minimum period of recruitment essentially was around 15 to 17 years for a soldier so a soldier could be trained could you know could serve in various operational areas could become get higher training courses become proficient in in, in its role and then and then continue then they would get earn a pension so you know soldiering was a was a career of honor so you would not find a former soldier doing a job which would not be seen as dignified for a former soldier because of the pensionable service it was a long period of tenure what we are now going to see is soldiers coming in for 4 years young men who are going to come in for 4 years and after 4 years are going to be told that thank you you have served enough now you can go and then 25% out of them would be taken back into service uh, as permanent soldiers starting again starting their career again with their first 4 years not being counted towards their pension or salaries or promotions or anything else so it's a very big shift there was no trial project carried out there was no pilot projects carried out there were no trials carried out there were no great studies which we which were done on the implications of this project the complete recruitment that happens into the indian armed forces the indian navy the indian air force and the indian army that is now going to ha- happen only through this scheme 
After serving as Agnivirs, those leaving the defence forces get no pension or other financial benefits that a soldier typically does. Instead, they get a one-time lump sum tax-free payment. Recruits leaving defence forces could get priority in central paramilitary forces and in other government posts. Other options are also being considered. The government says this scheme will enhance the youthful profile of the armed forces and will bring about a transformational shift towards a more tech-savvy armed forces. The government also claims the four-year term will create a cadre of young persons to boost national security in times of external threats, internal threats and natural disaster. In today's episode, we're speaking with Lieutenant General Dua and Sushant Singh to understand Agnipath better and to analyze the concerns with a scheme that makes such big changes to how soldiers are recruited. Sushant Singh says the Agnipath scheme changes a major aspect of the Indian Army, which is how personnel are divided into regiments. For him, the concern is that this change will take place without any clear studies on how this will affect the Army. The government has announced that this is going to be an all-India, all-class recruitment. Essentially, what we had so far was recruitment, which was divided into certain quotas for each state. Based on the uh, recruitable male population, for each state, you had that, you know, a state of Gujarat or Kerala or Maharashtra also had to give X number of people had to be recruited, were aimed to be recruited as soldiers. So there was a state-wise balance amongst, among soldiers who were coming from. You, you know, you could not have a, have, a, have an army which was predominantly coming from Hindi-speaking states, you know, Haryana, Himachal, Uttarakhand, Uttar, Uttar Pradesh, uh, Punjab, etc. To prevent that kind of a thing, this recruitable male population was done. And also it fitted in with the old idea of the Indian Army's single-class units, as we call them, whether it is the Sikh regiment, whether it is the Gurkha regiment, Jat regiment, you know, Kumayu regiment, etc. You know, these all these regiments, they, they, they get people from a particular class, as we now call it, but essentially a subcaste uh, from a particular area, and they serve together as a community. So this essentially emerged out of a model from the British period. Young soldiers were seen as coming from a same village, same community, and their village elder, who would have become a senior Havaldar or a JCO, could look after them as a village elder would. And because there was their own reputation within the community, their marriages, their kith kin, they would perform well, their discipline would be good, et cetera, et cetera. So it was seen more as a social and a communal project than as an individual professional soldier, which is how Western armies emerged. So Indian army's model of soldiering was very different. It was not about every single soldier being a professional soldier and doing, and doing professional fighting, irrespective of the social uh, or filial connections that he or she may have had. So when you change that, uh, what does that change about the Indian Army? So uh, it fundamentally changes everything about the Indian Armed Forces. The Indian Armed Forces emerged out of the model which came from the erstwhile East India Company leading to the British, British Indian Army leading to this. And that model essentially, you know, with minor tinkering has not really changed uh, over, over the years. Some of the major changes that took place, of course, were post-1857 because some of the groups, castes, which had revolted were thrown out of the army and were not were never recruited. Or another major change took place during the Second World War, where a large number of communities and groups which were either or not recruited were also allowed to be recruited. But the nature of the organization, the way it was organized, and the operating dicta on which the soldiers operated uh, or functioned had not undergone that change. Now, that is being changed fundamentally and uh, it's a root and branch reform in that sense. And there has been no study which has been carried out as to what its consequences will be and how this change would be managed. 
If you're going to convert an army into an all India, all class army, which has historically never been that army. So you are virtually creating a new army uh, in place of the old one. It's like building an aircraft while it's flying. So you are actually trying to construct, build an aircraft while it's already in air. And with the situation that we have on the China border, on Pakistan border, within Kashmir or on Nagaland, with the kind of you know commitments that the Indian Armed Forces uh, already have currently, uh, building the aircraft while it is flying, uh, maybe tougher than even uh, otherwise it would have been. It is somehow based on a hope and a prayer that things would all fall in place and things would be managed because you know uh, this is an organization which is highly adaptive and the leadership is very evolved and discipline is very good. But I think that's more out of hope and prayer. Uh, than out of any comprehensive policy or an organizational strategy that has been put in place. During a career of 15 to 17 years, soldiers would be assigned different posts based on their experience. But when their tenure is just four years, recruits would not have adequate time to gain adequate experience to perform certain tasks. Sushant Singh explains the importance of training and experience in the armed forces and how it can affect the tasks that Agnivirs would be assigned. So four-year soldiering would also include a period of training. So essentially, it would be a period of around three years, which people would, three, three and a half years, which people would serve within the unit. And while, you know, we may think that soldiering is only about holding a gun and standing, uh, but as anyone who has done soldiering knows that it's a, uh, it's a, like anything, like any other profession, it's a, it's a profession where you learn by experience, where you learn by operating within a group, where you learn by understanding the ethos and the culture of your environment and then are, are better prepared to do certain kind of roles. You can always push post people in Kashmir. Younger recruits are, of course, posted in Kashmir or in or in Ladakh or else, elsewhere. Uh, but the point is, it, this would be a much larger cohort of people than the otherwise much smaller cohort, which uh, which would exist because turnover is much greater, training is much much lesser. But I think the bigger worry is for for the other two services, the Indian Air Force and the Indian Navy, because these are essentially very technical services. We are talking about very complex, you know, systems of ships submarines, missiles, weapons, aircraft, which are essentially maintained by these soldiers. So unlike the army where the soldier is the fighting unit or the functional unit as a human being, in this case, there are force multipliers in a technical sense where they are undertaking repairs and maintenance of very complex technical equipment based on extensive training. It is those kind of challenges, which I think only a period of short period of four years that would emerge uh, for the for the organizations like the Indian Air Force and the and the Indian Navy, and of course, for the Indian Army, there would be a qualitative difference uh, in its performance uh, based on the fact that these guys are not going to be experienced enough and not going to be motivated enough in a certain sense, uh, knowing that they are not here for life. Uh, that would significantly diminish the the performance or the output of of these soldiers in a unit. But what of the influx of youth into the armed forces? Was that something that the armed forces needed? Lieutenant General Dua points out that it's not like the average Indian defence personnel is particularly old. Ours is a very traditional army. We never had those concerns because uh, a soldier who retires at the uh, with the service of 15 or 17 years is also youthful. In the sense that he is uh, at best in his mid-30s. And that's youthful enough to discharge uh, the duties uh, of a soldier or a sailor or an airman. But there is no denying the fact 
that this will bring down the overall age profile from an average of, let's say, 30 years to an average of about uh, 23, 24 years. So uh, such a youthful profile in certain uh, settings and contexts will certainly be uh, an asset. Um, one cannot deny that. That's also another thing that we have to see in how we draw a judicious balance between the youthful energy and the wisdom of experience. Sushan Singh says that the claim of infusing youth into the defence forces is just PR masquerading as policy. There is no problem with the youthful profile of Indian soldiers. The kind of uh, soldiering that is done now with the advancement of technology, with the use of drones, with the use of you know, radars and other intelligence and surveillance devices is very different from the kind of Chinnit's march for 14 days kind of soldiering that was done earlier. And if youthful profile is such an important case, then what happens to the officers who are going to lead these men? Why is their profile not being changed. You know, the Indian officer, Kada is some of the oldest in that sense, age, pro age profile-wise. So to my mind, this idea that we are going to somehow get a more youthful profile and that is going to be better for the army makes it sound as if the Indian army was, was meant by 50, 60-year-old people. No, it was not. And if it was so much of a worry, was, have you ever heard this point being raised earlier? When Mr. Modi or his government or, or serving and retired generals, when they have gone and spoken about the Indian Army, whether in Ladakh or Siachen or elsewhere, I have never in my service or in my general journalistic experience or as a think tanker ever heard that the age profile of Indian Jawans is, you know, is, is bad or is so high that it needs to be brought down. The fact that it has come up now is clearly a post facto excuse um, devised as a PR tool, which is masquerading as policy now. One major concern is what happens to the 75% of the Agnivirs who emerge from the scheme after four years of service. As it stands, the recruits would not be enhancing their educational qualifications in any way, which in turn could hurt their employment opportunities. Lieutenant General Dua says it's not a worry, since the person emerging from the scheme would have the qualities to do any job, and they're young enough to pursue any career path. However, he admits some reassurances from the government would have helped. I personally am not too worried because when a soldier who's done five, four years, when he comes out of the army, his age profile is going to be less than 25. When a man is in his early 20s, he has already been trained as a soldier, has inculcated a spirit of, he's a motivated man, with the, the spirit of camaraderie, with the sense of punctuality, with the, the sense of duty that he inculcates as a soldier, I think for him to get any job, whether it is in a private sector or in the self-employment regime uh, uh, scheme, uh, it won't be very difficult to my mind. Uh, but yes, one would have uh, felt a little happier if there were some reassurances. Sushant Singh, on the other hand, says there's a lot of reason for concern. He explains why he's concerned about the potential militarization of police forces and why we need to have a clear plan for what people will do once they're no longer Agnivirs. 
discussing the defense ministry yesterday said that we would uh, that, that all the government departments other central government departments and public sector units would announce some policy where there would be priority recruitment for the balance 75% in some sense but i really don't know what is the capacity of this priority recruitment we have not seen that that kind of uh, that kind of intake for soldiers or even officers who have retired or under, undergone MBA courses, etc. Resettlement is a very big challenge, which soldiers and retired officers uh, face in India. It's a reality. And it's a challenge that these people who come out after uh, after four years of service would also face unless they are specifically taken into the state police forces or into paramilitary forces. Now, that's not a very good thing because military operates on a very different principle from uh, to, from the police. Police is a law and order maintenance unit, which is supposed to work with the people and not consider people as the enemy. So the soldiers do not work on that victim. Soldiers work on a totally different victim. And you do not want a militarization of the police force, especially with the kind of police force that we now have in India, which is, you know, using all kinds of illegal tools like bulldozers, etc., so, you know, while people uh, absent-mindedly think that, you know, getting soldiers into police or getting soldiers into paramilitary is the right answer, it may not be the right answer. My second biggest concern of thousand people coming out every year is, are they going to lead a life of dignity, which befits the life of having served in the Indian Armed Forces once they are out? No, definitely not. They don't have a fixed pension. But 10 lakh rupees saved for you will not take you far. The fact in the social dictum that we operate in, where the army has been placed on a very high pedestal, where the supreme sacrifice that is being asked of the soldiers is being asked in the name of honor, in the name of glory, in the name of a higher cause. How do you reconcile that with the fact that, you know, people who have done soldiering are, are selling vegetables or uh, cleaning drains uh, in, in that sense? And I think that would be very difficult to reconcile. And that eventually over a period of five to 10 years, would start telling on the motivation and the morale of the people who would still be serving in uniform and would be next going out on the street. So let's say if you are a 20, 17, 18-year-old guy who's who's joining as an Agni Veer, I'm sure he's not going to be motivated enough. He's not going to be motivated enough. His morale is not going to be motivated by words of honor, duty, glory, higher cause uh, when he sees that happen to people. So the dignity of people who come out of uniform, how are you going to maintain them in the very complex Indian social milieu, uh, that's the that's the thing uh, we, need, we need to worry about as well. Another concern is about retaining 25% of the Agnivirs as soldiers. Lieutenant General Dua says this scheme could help improve the pool of soldiers recruited, which in turn could allow for more of them to become junior officers. A soldier who gets recruited now he feels smug that he's now going to stay for at least 17 years and if he gets promoted, even longer. Whereas in this case, the soldier will always want to prove himself if he wants to make it to the cut of that 25%, which will be retained after four years. Also, the fact that we will be selecting only the, uh, the top 25%, will ensure that these are the people who will become NCOs and JCOs later on. That So uh, to that extent, uh, the leadership, the quality of junior leadership amongst soldiers will improve. Sushant Singh, on the other hand, feels this hits at the very heart of trust in the armed forces by creating unhealthy competition among soldiers. 
So how do you assess people, you know, within four years in different kind of environments and your requirements may be more technical in nature. You may be wanting to hold back somebody who's more technical in nature. You may not be wanting to hold back somebody who's a general duty soldier because you would say, oh, I trained this guy. He knows how to handle a Bofors gun. So I would rather keep him. People who go into that kind of uh, domain may have a bigger advantage over others. You, you're creating a very messy, very competitive, very uh, harmful process where uh, people would not be happy with others who maybe seem to be going ahead, etc. You know, this is a service, this is a group of people which works a lot on esprit de corps, on trust, on camaraderie. You know, imagine you tell another soldier that you mm. go, I am going to provide you covering fire, you run into the fire. It's a matter of trust, you know, it's a huge matter of trust of life and death because you trust someone. Out on that group, if you're going to create huge competition, where, you know, whether you're going to get a job or not depends on X, Y, Z. The level of trust and the level of camaraderie, level of esprit de corps is going to come down dramatically. And that, as we discussed earlier, is going to again affect the performance uh, as a group, as a unit, as a subunit, as an organization, as an armed force, as an institution. And I, I think that's something we need to be concerned and worried about. Lieutenant General Dua is very clear that he doesn't see this affecting the armed forces' capabilities anytime soon. He says the effects of this scheme, if any, are more likely to show up over the long term. At least for the next 10 odd years, uh, I am also just giving a, a, you know, a sense without calculation, uh, it won't affect in the manner that we think because uh, let us say these people are coming, I'm from infantry, a battalion would get only 10 to 12 or anything between 10 and 15 uh, new soldiers every year. So, in a body of eight to 900 people, if you have to absorb 12 or 15 people, it's, it's not a big deal. They will get absorbed in a very good manner without affecting the combat efficiency. Uh, what will the situation be after 10 years? Uh, we will have to see. But again, it will not radically alter it. He also doesn't see the concerns, like the temporary employment or lack of post-exit benefits, hurting enthusiasm for the scheme. Lieutenant General Dua says it may help to stop comparing Agnipath with the previous recruitment policy. Well, there, there will be enthusiasm for the scheme because uh, there are a lot of young men who don't want to make a career of it. But there will be a larger number who will be disappointed at having to leave uh, at four years because a lot of them see this as uh, a career for half their lives. So uh, monetarily also, the severance package, uh, while for a four-year term and the, the pay and salary that they draw, it's okay. But the fact remains that at the end of it, they are not financially secure. They will have to start a life anew. Uh, to, we, are, we are tending to compare it with the existing system. But the moment you stop comparing it, uh, th there will be a very different kind of dynamics for the younger generation. But Sushant Singh says this wasn't a policy that needed to be rushed through like this, especially given its long-term effects on India's defence forces. Firstly, uh, this, this thing needed to be studied, modelled and tried out on a pilot project basis. You do not fix organizations in a manner in which it is being done now. I think the fundamental thing is that a large number of proposals for reform, et cetera, needed to be studied, needed to be publicly debated, 
uh, environment needed to be created. It should have been debated in parliament and parliamentary standing committees. White people should have come out. Organizational experts should have studied these. The consequences should have been played out. And then a pilot project should have been implemented for a small period of time. And based on the learnings of, the, of those pilot projects, this kind of a major reform exercise should have, been, should have been undertaken. It should have also been undertaken at a time where the economy was much in a much better shape where society was in a much more stable condition and where challenges in, on the border were not live at that point in time. I don't think that has been done. None of the stakeholders have been brought into the exercise, even retired military officers are not really supportive of what has gone in. And from within the armed forces, when you speak for, informally, because formally they're not allowed to speak, uh, there's a lot of resentment and there's a lot of anger about what has been done. A more thoughtful process, a more evolved process, a more tried out process would have led to better answers. What the contours of that proposal would have been, that is very hard for someone like me to say at this point in time. But clearly the contours would not have been four years of service, including training period, just because you do not want to give gratuity and then saying everybody's out and then, and then you want to bring in everyone again, 25% people again uh, and start afresh. I think that's been too devious and too clever by half. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.